0: Tonight we're going to finish up uh, the section of our follow series on prayer. Next week we will be diving into what it looks like to study the scriptures to know and love God. So uh, we've been talking about following Jesus, right? Walking in the footsteps of Jesus. We've, We've been kind of wrestling with this question of what does it look like in our lives to be a disciple of Jesus but also to make disciples of Jesus, right? And in wrestling this question, I uh, myself have come to four ways that we can really do this. We can uh, follow Jesus in prayer. We can follow Jesus by studying the scriptures to know and love God. We can follow Jesus um, by our love for other people. And we can follow Jesus as we worship. And not just worship is seeing, but worship as a way of life. And so those are the four things that we're going to talk about. And there is this um, Jewish word. It's a it, it, Jewish That's actually wrong. It's Hebrew, sorry. There's a Hebrew word for actually those four things. It's called Kavanaugh. Everybody say Kavanaugh. 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 All right, say it one more time Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. The actual proper way to pronounce it, because we're, you know, I like to, I I had Hispanic family growing up, so I I call Americans gringos. But since we're gringos, we kind of mispronounce foreign languages. It's actually, I I believe it's pronounced Kavanaugh, but um, we'll call it Kavanaugh because it's a little easier to say. So Kavanaugh is these four things. Prayer, studying the scriptures to know and love God. Love, as in receiving the extravagant love of God so that we can extravagantly love others. And worship as a way of life. And Kavanaugh is this, it's this Jewish concept. It's, it's actually an archery term. And what it basically means is Kavanaugh is the process of picking up an arrow, drawing back on the bow, Releasing the arrow and hitting the bullseye, but not just hitting the bullseye, but hitting the bullseye over and over and over again. So it's this archery term to continuously hit the bullseye. And the reason why that, that piece of it is so important is because I think as followers of Jesus, maybe sometimes we don't feel like we always hit the bullseye, right? Uh, we fall, we stumble, we, um, we are tempted, we get distracted. I, I truly believe that we are a people that are prone to drift. And so um, my hope is that, that through the, this series, we'll be called away from our, pr- our, our, our um, desires to kind of drift away from God and we'll uh, begin to have a longing stirred in us to hit that bullseye repeatedly in our life. But not to j- just to just hit the bullseye, but to hit the bullseye together. Because following Jesus isn't meant to be done alone. And so we're going to continue this um, time in prayer. We're going to read Matthew 6, 5 through 14. We've been in here for the past few weeks. I'm going to read the whole passage one more time, and then we're going to spend um, the last bit of our night in verses 11 through 14. Uh, Starting with verse 5 in Matthew 6, it says this And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father in heaven who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive yours, your sins. So the thing that I love the most about spending time talking about prayer is giving you guys opportunities to kind of practice it. Right, I, I, You know, we kind of talked about, uh, I believe it was last week, we talked about um, Eastern learning, right, transformational learning, and then we talked about Western learning, right, which is kind of like this, the classroom style informational learning where we just kind of soak in a bunch of information just to take a test, right? And so um, transformational learning is this uh, learning so that it changes the way you live, whereas informational learning is, is just this idea of learning for the sake of regurgitating information, being able to um, repeat back terms or phrases or things uh, to express your knowledge about any given subject. The thing that I love the most about what we've been doing through prayer is if you've noticed, every single week after the message, we've been given an opportunity to practice what it was that was talked about. And I'm doing this for two reasons. The first is some of us might never have had much experience in prayer And if we haven't had any experience in prayer, that's okay. But I wouldn't be doing what God has called me to do if I didn't give you an opportunity to practice it and show you how it's done by giving you some sort of thing to guide your time or pointing you to the word where there's written out prayers um, of people crying out to God. And so I've loved that about this. One of the interesting things about this portion of Jesus' prayer, this model prayer, some call it the Lord's Prayer, many call it, actually, the Lord's Prayer, is Jesus moves from a, a posture of acknowledging who God is, right? We talked about this last week. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus actually moves into a style of prayer that, again, we, we talked about this last week, that I think many of us practice, I believe that most of the time when we pray, we ask God for things, right? I mean, it's just the reality of who we are. We, we, we want something from God, and so we ask him for it. And it's not bad to want things from God. However, um, we need to make sure that we want the right things. Because if you remember, the, the, what we talked about last week is that as we pray, as we acknowledge who God is, as we reflect on his character, as we reflect on his holiness, as we reflect on his love as a father, Our desires and what we want, right, begin to align with his. And we see here in the Lord's Prayer, we see exactly what God wants us to ask for. We see exactly what God wants us to ask for. The first part of this in verse 11 says, give us our daily bread. I truly believe that one of the biggest dangers to Christianity in the United States is the belief that we are self-sufficient. What I mean is this. When is the last time you asked God, to provide you with food for today. For today. When's the last time? The last time I asked God to provide me food for today was just a couple days ago. Why? Because I was reminded to do so as I was preparing to share about it. Because even I don't do this every day. But here's the interesting thing about this. We've become so content in our society that the biggest fundamental need of our physical existence being food is seen as expected. The biggest thing that we need every day to survive physically is food. But we've become so content here that we expect it to come. We expect it to come. We wake up, and immediately when we wake up, we expect to have food on the table, right? I expect every morning, we don't have any right now, but I expect every morning to eat my Captain Crunch, my Crunch Berries, right? With my nice little bowl, milk, maybe snack on some fruit, crack an egg or two open and eat it. I expect that. I don't wake up in the morning crying out to God to give me that each day, to provide for the physical needs of my body because I've fallen into the lie that I'm self-sufficient, that my efforts... And the paycheck that I earn every week is enough for me no longer to have to ask God for it. Now, would I ever say that? No. But with my actions, I am. Because I'm not asking. I'm not asking. I'm not thinking about it. Food and water are vital to our survival. We can't live without them. The fact that we do not ask God to provide for us in this way shows that the abundance of nutrients stashed away in our refrigerators and cupboards causes us to fall into the illusion that we can meet our own needs. That because we can fill up our house with food and goodies, that we, not God, meets our own needs. And, I, and, I, and my hope is, is, again, my hope is not to just like drop this on you and make you feel guilty for never asking God to give you uh, food for the day. My hope is is that you will see this as another opportunity to grow to acknowledge more and more your dependence on Him. That's the point of this. For you to see and experience a dependent need for God. Because we cannot survive without the Lord. Every breath that we breathe in right now has been given to us from the hands of the Father. That's worthy of noticing. I think... I think it's worthy of worship, right? If we start to see these little things that we take for granted every single day as gifts, I truly believe that it'll cause us to worship our God more. And in our lives, we will express that worship through things like love. We'll want to study the scriptures and know and love God because we'll be so thankful for God that we want to understand and grow in our knowledge of who he is. We'll want to love others extravagantly and give generously because God is so Generously given to us, and we'll want to, in every thing we do, do it as working for the Lord and not for people. Why? Because our entire lives are worship, not just what we sing in here on a Wednesday or on a Sunday. Another thing that 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 this flawed way of thinking that we can meet our own need does is it it the the idea of Providing for ourselves causes us to no longer see God in the proper, proper perspective. God's the provider of all things. He's the provider of all things. And when we forget that, we lose an aspect of our dependence for it. We begin to fall into this lie, once again, that we can do it on our own. Listen, we must be a people that are characterized by the deep dependence that we have on the Father. As we've seen throughout this series so far, hey, my piece of tape fell off my cheek. Hey, that's funny. Um, As we've seen throughout this series so far, our very walk following Christ must come from a posture of complete devotion and surrender. In every single thing that we do, we need to be devoted to the Lord. We We need to focus on the Lord. We need to fix our eyes on the Lord. There's no room here for independence. After being in the wilderness for 40 days without food, Jesus, tempted by the devil, was told by the devil to turn rocks into bread. Have you heard this story before? Jesus, after he got baptized in John chapter 4, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, fasting and praying for 40 days. And during these 40 days, he's tempted by the devil. He gets tempted three times that we see in Scripture. And the first one is... The devil comes up to Jesus and he says, if you're the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. Turn these rocks into bread. The temptation here for Jesus was to operate outside of the will of God in order to meet his needs. For Jesus himself to even say that I'm self-sufficient without the Father and to provide for himself his own bread. And Jesus says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. His response diverted his attention back to the Father. His dependence and his eyes were on the Father. He was focused on the Father. We see in the next verse, verse 12, it says, Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And this idea of forgiveness is actually where we're going to spend most of our time tonight, because I believe... With all my heart, that isn't an issue that we all struggle with. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What I love about this is in verse 12, it doesn't say that we've forgiven the debts of others. It says that we've forgiven debtors. So we don't forgive the wrong actions of another person. We forgive the person. We don't just Look past their actions, we act as if that person never wronged us in the first place, because that's what forgiveness truly is. Forgiveness is freeing a person from guilt and its consequences. Freeing per- a person from guilt and its consequences. Guilt's consequences, because guilt, right? If I'm going to hold you guilty for something, it has consequences. If I'm standing in front of a judge and I'm convicted of a crime, I'm guilty. My guilt has consequences. Jail time, fines, whatever. Have you ever experienced this kind of freedom? Have you ever truly been unconditionally forgiven? My hope is yes. My hope is that you know that you're unconditionally forgiven by the Father. But I know for certain that not every single person in here has truly experienced that depth of freedom and that depth of forgiveness. There are two aspects here of forgiveness in Jesus' prayer asking for it and giving it away. One of the things that I love about Jesus is that everything he gives to us, he expects us to pass it on. Everything. We've been given the freedom of the gospel. What does he command us to do? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've received salvation in Jesus, and he asks us, he commands us to go and talk about it, to give it away to others. Now, we can't save other people, but we can provide them with the word of God that can save them. The whole idea of making disciples is, 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 is an idea of multiplication. And the whole idea of multiplication is to receive something and repeat it over and over and over and over again. One of my favorite things about following Jesus is the expectation to instantaneously give to others what he has so graciously given us. God does not give you buffer time. He doesn't give you buffer time. He doesn't give you this, this, this illusion that, oh, you've received Jesus. Now you have this buffer time to preva- prepare to tell others about it. No immediately tell others about it immediately tell others about there's so many times in the gospels where jesus heals somebody and what does he say he says go and share what's happened to you the samaritan woman in john chapter 4 found out that jesus was a messiah and she went and told an entire town of people about it she told the entire town of people they came to meet jesus after they came to meet Jesus, they invited him into his town. Jesus stayed there for about three days and then they said they no longer had to believe because of the testimony of the woman because they've seen the son. Because when we tell the good news, people experience Jesus and they no longer have to believe on account of what we said because they have personal experience in the love of Christ. This is the whole idea of following Jesus. Everything that we do, everything that we receive, we give away. Everything. There's no exception to that. Extending love to people because he first loved us. Teaching from the scriptures because we are learning from the scriptures. And we also learn by teaching the scriptures. Learning to pray in order to pray with and for others. We're not learning to pray just so you can pray on your own. We're learning and talking about prayer so you can do it with and for other people. So you can give it away. Worshiping God to honor him in a way that our lifestyle reflects Jesus to everyone we encounter. encounter Absolutely everything he has given to us, we must pass on. This includes forgiveness. I just got back from a trip in Maryland. It was a lot of fun. But one of the interesting things about the trip in Maryland is I spent some time with my family. And um, some of you may know my story. Some of you might not know my story in here. But just know this. Uh, I have a long history of broken relationships with much of my family. And this particular side of the family that I spend a lot of time with, I have heaps and heaps and heaps of bitterness towards. Heaps of bitterness towards. It is hard for me to spend time with this side of my family. You can ask Sarah. Sarah. I struggled with this trip. Part of me didn't want to go. Part of me wanted to go. Every reason that I wanted to go had nothing to do with my family and everything to be with being at the beach. I didn't want to see him. This is my family. My family. Grandpas, moms, brothers, my family. And yet I couldn't bring it to myself to want to go. Now imagine... I'm experiencing all this, and then I'm like preparing for this before I leave. Imagine how much of a smack in the face it was that I was going to teach on forgiveness, and yet I was struggling living it out. I'm saying this to you because of two reasons. One, I want to be real and authentic with you in hopes that you'll be real and authentic with me and real and authentic with leaders here. That's why we're here. But I also want to share this with you because I don't expect you to do any of this unless I go first and confess my bitterness to you because I have bitterness for my family. I have bitterness towards the alcoholism and the drama and the drinking and the drugging and the um, craziness that is my family because it's hurt me. And it was this weekend as I was wrestling this passage that I truly got to experience some freedom. You see, because while I was wrestling with this and, and, and asking God to soften my heart and give me a tender heart towards this side of the family, I had the absolute best time that I've ever had with my family since I, my, this side of the family since I remember. I've been encountering arguments and fights and, and drama with my family since I was like six. My parents got divorced when I was five. When this side of my family gets together, there's never a good experience. And yet this whole weekend was nothing but good experience. And as I spent time with my family, I just felt the bitterness just kind of fall off. And my own heart just became, it be, began to be very tender toward them. I... I, I Express genuine love. I looked in my uncle's eyes as he was drinking a beer and told him almost with tears in my eyes at 1 a.m. in the morning that I longed for him to know Jesus and that one of the deepest longings of my entire life while I'm on this planet is to see him and the rest of my family know Jesus. And as I'm having this conversation with him again, I'm just, it's just bitterness has just fallen off. And I truly believe it was an act of God that he brought us here today. Not just for me, because I, he rocked me with this, this weekend. I was very convicted. The Spirit of God did work with me while I was in Maryland. My hope and my prayer is that he'll do work with you here tonight. In my tendency to harbor bitterness towards these family members, I revealed a desire in my own sin nature to put myself over God. With my bitterness, I was saying that the forgiveness of God or the wrath of God is not enough. They still need to receive condemnation from me. You see, when we express bitterness towards people, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people that are following Jesus, and there's people that aren't. The people that are following Jesus are living in the grace and forgiveness of the gospel. And so if God has forgiven them, if we can't forgive them for something they've done wrong to us, we are putting ourselves over God and saying that, God's forgiveness isn't enough. They deserve our condemnation. And then there's the person that's not following Jesus. They're not under the grace and forgiveness of the gospel. They're under the wrath of God. The rightful punishment for their sins. But in our bitterness towards this person, we're stating that the punishment that they've received from God or that they are receiving from God is not enough. And we put ourselves over God saying that they deserve condemnation from us. Either way, we're putting ourselves over God. In my tendency to harbor bitterness, I'm missing out on the joys of walking in the freedom of the gospel myself, right? I have all this bitterness. How can I experience the freedom of the mercy given to me? How can I experience the freedom of the grace poured out to me? How can I experience the freedom of the hope stirred up in me? How can I experience the freedom of the love shown to me that I'm supposed to offer to others, but I'm not offering it to others because of all this bitterness I'm holding in. Someone smarter than me once said that hurling bitterness towards another person is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. If we can't forgive somebody else, it's like us taking a cup of poison, it's like me taking poison, drinking it down, and expecting Kate to die. And harboring bitterness toward Kate, I'd be doing nothing but hurting myself. Jesus spends a little bit of this section also talking about temptation. The only way to truly be given a way out when it comes to our sin is through the very hands of the Redeemer. Jesus says in verse 13, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If we follow Christ, God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives us the power to say no where we couldn't before. And in Romans chapter 6, Scripture tells us that. Uh, before we knew Christ, we were actually slaves to sin. That we couldn't help but say yes to sin. That there was something in us that was so attracted to doing the wrong thing that we couldn't say no to it. In Romans six twenty through 23, I think it's up there, or it will be. Hey, there it is. It says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our God can free us from the powers of darkness and the penalty of sin. And though we're now followers of Jesus, temptation, right? It still comes. If you're following Jesus and you've, you've experienced that, We're constantly attacked by forces of evil, but the ultimate hope and freedom is found in the gospel. It's found in the gospel. We're fighting a war as believers, and God gives us the power. There's power in the spirit that we've received. He's he's given us power to proclaim life to others and to overcome death. Because he's overcome death. We get the privilege to love others well. We get the privilege to serve Christ well. We get the privilege to do these things. I want you to know that. I want you to know that Jesus has the power to help you overcome the temptation that's in your life. The things that you're struggling with. I know you're struggling with something. I struggle with things. We all struggle with things. You heard firsthand that I struggle with bitterness this weekend, the temptation to hold the sins of my family against them and cause them to change the way that I see them, cause them to change the way that I see my family. I struggle with that. But as you could hear, the Lord broke me of that. He changed me in that area. He he gave me the power to not only overcome that temptation, but to really see some true healing there with my family. It was incredible. The last part of this section says this, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now I think a lot of people try to explain this away, right? Because that sounds harsh. What it sounds like is that unless we forgive other people, God will not forgive us. There's a lot of people who try to work around that, try to explain it away. It's very true. It's there. It's in the text. It's, it's, it's plain. Now, if that's true, and I was struggling with bitterness toward my family, does that mean I, I'm not saved? No. See, you can be a Christian and still struggle with the temptations of bitterness. But listen, what Jesus is saying here, the fact that Jesus revisits forgiveness is huge because it shows of anything in here, that's repeated. I think it's because this is very, very important to him. Our forgiveness toward others is very important to Jesus why? Why is it important to Jesus? Because if we don't forgive, if we don't make an effort to forgive, he won't forgive us. Because the only way we can make an effort to truly forgive is if we've experienced and known and received the forgiveness of Jesus. I truly believe we are incapable of true unconditional forgiveness if we have never received true unconditional forgiveness from Christ. The forgiveness of Jesus motivates us to forgive others. I know if you follow Jesus in here, you struggle with bitterness, but here's the deal. It's a struggle. If you didn't know Christ, it wouldn't be a struggle. You'd be okay with that bitterness. You would. You'd be completely fine with it. And if you are following Christ in here and you have bitterness in your heart and you are completely fine with it, your conscience has been seared by the sin in your heart. And I pray that God reveals that to you and that he does business with you in that. What Jesus is saying here is that if there is no motivation at all in our hearts to offer forgiveness to other people, then the forgiveness of the Father is not ours to have. Jesus isn't asking us to forgive everyone perfectly. We cannot match the perfect forgiveness of Christ. But what we can do is make an effort. And that's what he's asking. That's what he's commanding. He's commanding that an effort is made to forgive your brother and sister. To forgive the people in your life who have wronged you. Because who are we to receive forgiveness for our sins and, and yet hold other sins of other people against them? Jesus actually tells a parable about this. And the simplified version is basically this. If Aaron owes owes me a million dollars, and Aaron comes to me and he says, John, I don't have it. I don't have it. I'm sorry. And I look at Aaron and I say, you know what? You don't have to pay me. Go. You're debt free. And I forgive him his debt. But then if Aaron goes to Jonah and says, Jonah, you owe me 15 bucks and hits Jonah in the face and holds that 15 bucks over Jonah's head, what's wrong with that picture? I just forgave him for a huge amount of money. And yet he holds this small little dinkity amount of money against Jonah. It's the same When we receive the grand forgiveness of every single sin we've ever committed in our entire life and ever will commit in our entire life, and yet we hold the one sin over another person. Forgiveness is important. We have to see this, we have to get this. It's important to Jesus, not only for us to ask for for this forgiveness from God, but to give it to others. And so when we pray, these are good things to ask for. God, meet our needs. Forgive our sins. Help us to forgive the sins of others. Give me the strength to overcome temptation today. In fact, lead me away from it. These are the things God wants us to ask him. He'll answer these prayers. He'll meet our needs. He'll keep us from temptation. He'll forgive our sins. And he'll give us the strength, the gentleness, the meekness, the grace to forgive others. And so what we're going to do tonight is I have a lovely piece of paper. And we're going to take about 10 minutes. And what I want you to do is I just want you to do the first part of this paper. And then when you go home, you can do the last part. the first part of this is, is I want you to make a list. I want you to make a list of people that you are bitter toward. I do. I know you're bitter toward somebody. Everybody can put one person on this list. I want you to make a list, and I want you to ask God. I want you to ask him to start to open your eyes to what his forgiveness really looks like and give you a heart that wants to forgive the people on that list. The rest of this is just some scriptures to encourage you of what you've been forgiven from. If you're not motivated to forgive somebody, know what you've been forgiven from. And so there's, there's scripture here to point you how, how you've been forgiven, how we've been forgiven in the gospel if, we've, if we're following Jesus. Or if you're not following Jesus, this is how God desires to forgive somebody who is. This is the forgiveness that he extends to us in Christ. The last part of this is just some practical steps of what are you going to do to this person? How can you show them your forgiveness this week? For me, it was to tell my uncle to his face and apologize to him for the bitterness that I held against him and say, I hope you can know Jesus. And if you have any questions about that, if you have anything you want to talk to me about, please come. If you have anything you're struggling with, let me know. And just told him that I was available if he ever needed me for anything. But I apologized to him. Because whether or not he knew it, I was, I was wronging him in my heart. And so take this paper, take 10 minutes. There's pens in the back of the room, split up somewhere, and just write down a few names. Pray, ask God to bring some names to mind. I know he will. Um, he's done it to me before. Let me pray, and then we're gonna take that 10 minutes. And then once we come back here, I have one question for you to ask, just one. And then we'll dismiss after that 10 minutes is up. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you give us um, the most beautiful forgiveness we could ever receive in the gospel. Thank you that through the life, death, resurrection and resurrection of Jesus, we can know you. Lord God, that you don't count our sins against us. God, your word says in Psalm 103 that you separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. What a beautiful picture of the unconditional love that you've given us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the spirit that you've given us. I pray for everyone during this time, Lord, that you would bring to mind people in their life that you want them to forgive. Amen.